Amen. Thank you. And uh, praise the Lord for our young people and God working in their lives and those that work with them. And we appreciate all that they do and how God uses them. It's good to see uh, some special guests this morning. It's great to have Lena home uh, just for a day. Hopefully she'll sneak back this way one more time before she moves off to Maryland. Uh, and so she's getting farther and farther away. And uh, I'm not sure that Roger has anything to do with that, but uh, but it, it, uh, he works on him. Roger even, speaking of Roger, Roger's got a special guest with him today. It's good to see Rocio again this morning, and so welcome back to Texas. And a brand new official U.S. citizen, praise the Lord. And she, he got to fly out and see her sworn in. <clears throat> and so congratulations to you. It's good to see Kyle here this morning. And uh, he doesn't get to come home a lot these days in his journey through college. And then this summer, uh, he's up in Downers Grove in Chicago, Illinois, uh, reaching out to the Jewish community and got to come home for a few days over the fourth holiday. Uh, and then also uh, grandmother passed away this week. And so you pray for Kyle as he, and uh, praise the Lord, he was able to be here, be with the family through that difficult time and to get a break from uh, from the summer. And so although uh, he's to come here to get a break from the from the labor, but he's going to go back there to get a break from the heat. And so, uh, but it's great to see him home. And so we always enjoy uh, seeing our young people that are kind of out serving in other places whenever they get to come and be with us. Others that are here today, we're, we're honored and you've returned and are uh, newer to our church. We're so glad that you're here and excited that you're uh, returning and a part of things. And, and we're excited about what God's doing in our church here. Uh, in our text this morning, we'll, we look at uh, some things that Paul is dealing with. And the letters to the church at Corinthians are dealing with problems. And the, the church at Corinth is not a church that is being praised. Uh, it is a church that Paul is correcting. They've got some things wrong. They've got some disputes. Uh, they have some disunity. Uh, and so there's a lot that's not what it should be at the church at Corinth. Now, <clears throat> one of the main things that is a constant struggle is this transition from the law of the Old Testament to grace under the Lord Jesus Christ as the law has been fulfilled and brought to completion. And one of the big sticking points, even amongst those that have received Jesus as their Savior, is, uh, is the practice of some of the still ceremonial law. Uh, the actual sacrificial system has been gone for a, for, uh, for a while uh, or is is faded, uh, and so they. But they're still hung up here. At least they've put some of those things behind them. They uh, they're looking here, and they're uh, they're they're really hung up on this thing about about diet, the dietary law, uh, and so it's a constant battle. And so the Jews want the uh, want the Gentiles as they trust Jesus as their Savior to uh, to fall in line with a lot of the ceremonial law and the dietary law. Uh, and, and which is just beyond their ability to kind of grasp. Uh, and Peter struggled with this. The apostles have struggled with it. God even brought a vision to Peter and, uh, and said, you know, showed him how that he was going to bring this great mystery together, the great mystery of the church, the blending of Jew and Gentile. Uh, and the Gentiles rebuff. And, and Paul here is dealing with this issue. And so the, the context of what he's writing here really is, is dealing with the liberty that they have in Christ as far as the dietary law goes and the ceremonial law goes. And so he says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient in verse number 23. Expedient simply means to my advantage. And so uh, he's saying it, it may be okay for me to do this, but it may not necessarily always be 
to my advantage. Now, the advantage here is you say, well, Pastor, what advantage about what he's eating uh, is he talking about controlling weight? No, the, the, the issue here in, in Paul's mind is my, my advantage is in helping me to reach the loss that I'm preaching to. And, and so his context in the message that he's communicating is that all things are lawful for me, but it's not always expedient for me to do things that are lawful for me because it hinders my ability to reach those that I'm trying to reach. Paul said, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means win some. And so the Apostle Paul is willing to adapt to that which is around him and those that are around him so that he can more perfectly communicate the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says here uh, it, that all things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. And so one of the things that we're to do for one another, one of the important matters of the church is that we are edifying one another, that we are encouraging and building up one another's faith. That's why God has commanded and instituted the church for us to come together. It's not strictly to be preached to, but it is to edify one another, to lean upon one another, to pray together, to labor together, to uh, to to do those things which God has given us to do. Now in verse 24 he says, let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. That doesn't mean uh, to, uh, he's not talking about wealth here in the sense of financial matters or financial gain, but let let every man seek that uh, which is to the advantage of the other. In other words, I should not go through my life as a Christian trying to gain an advantage to obtain the things that I want or to make my life easier. I should go through life serving the Lord, seeking to make the path of, of life to Christ easier for the lost around me. And tie that together with what he said about all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. He's saying here, I'm not going to be seeking my own wealth, but another's man. In other words, I have liberty in Christ, but I am going to exercise that liberty that I have in Christ so that I am, I, I, my, my goal is not, hey, I have liberty so I can indulge in these things. My goal is, is that I have liberty so I want to exercise that liberty so that I make it easier for those that are without the faith to find a way in. That they're drawn to Christ. That their interaction with me, that their love for me. But there are some, there are some legitimate concerns and issues of the heart that the Jewish part of the church is struggling with. And so Paul says, uh, as he continues, whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat asking no question for conscience sake. And then he says that which is set before you eat without asking any question for conscience sake. And so God has made it clear in this New Testament age as he brought a vision to Peter that the things which were ceremonially unclean for the Jews to eat in the Old Testament age in the ceremonial law that God has granted blessing and that part is done away with. And so there's no need to enforce or to impose this on the Gentiles. But the Jews that grew up in that are still struggling with it. And so Paul is making the point. Listen, what you do, you do to clear the path for an advantage of others to find the gospel. And then he says, but your conscience is troubled. 
just don't ask. Go and buy. When Sonia and I were in, in Puerto Rico just uh, in February to celebrate our anniversary, uh, <clears throat> we went to with one of her brothers to um, a place called Pinones. It's a famous place just east of San Juan uh, where, where there are just all kinds of little uh, food vendors that line the highway right along the ocean. Uh, and uh, they make all kinds of just uh, kind of typical meals. Uh, and so one of the things that they call that they have is a is called a pincho. It's just simply a kebab. Okay, so it's grilled. You can get uh, different things, pork or chicken or uh, or beef. And so I opted for chicken, uh, and she got some more traditional things. And then I ate I ate one, um, and it didn't taste bad, but it was a little stringy. <laughs> and after a conversation with my brothers-in-law. Uh, and it came clear that uh, that there are vendors along the coast that are selling iguana as chicken. Uh, and so I wasn't real confident that what I ate was chicken. And I wasn't going to do that again. Uh, and so, but I didn't ask any question about it. I just... I just took it. That's what Paul's talking about. When you go into the shambles, uh, when you go into the place maybe that is just kind of the, the, the back corner market or that hole in the wall place uh, that would serve things typically that would be a, a thing that the Jewish community in their age there would have just avoided. He said, if that's what's available to you and that's where the people that you're striving to reach are, uh, if you go there and you buy for your own conscience sake, don't ask. Just eat. I know it still doesn't sound like very good advice to me either, but it, I can't argue the point. It's in the Bible. Uh, and so I still would avoid. Uh, but uh, but then he says, if you go to someone's home, someone invites you into their home and you come in and you sit down and, uh, and they put it out before you, don't ask. Uh, I remember when I was, when I was 16, we've had a, a, a group called Minuteman evangelistic teams come through our church about every two or three years, uh, and they put on a program for teenagers. It's an outreach ministry called The War. Uh, I was, as a 16-year-old, uh, at the very church that Kyle is living in a Sunday school room in for the summer. Uh, the man's son, who was a pastor there now, or was a pastor there then, he's with the Lord now, uh, started this ministry. He called it uh, Minutemen Ministries, but he called it the Uncivil War. And it was uh, uh, the Yankees against the Rebels. Of course, when you traveled around, you couldn't get anybody that wanted to be the Yankees. Everybody wanted to be uh, be the Rebels. And then uh, they they went and they converted it into different things. So now it's, you know, 30 year plus years later, uh, it is the Cola Clash, Pepsi against Coke, or it's, uh, uh, it's the War Army against Navy. And they tried Marines, but then everybody wanted to be a Marine. So, you know, hey, there you go. Uh, and so uh, they had to just kind of limit it. But they've done that when they've been here. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's a great evangelistic outreach. Well, when it was in its infancy and my family first moved from the St. Louis area to Chicago, I was 16. I was going to the 11th grade uh, and they needed, they would always take uh, three college students and uh, and a, a one teenager from the youth group to kind of sell T-shirts and uh, and take care of little odds and ends. So I got drafted to go, uh, and so we went to 
a church in Hagerstown, Maryland. I did not know that many years or that several years later, uh, Sonia and I would live there for two or three years and visit that church, that very same church. And, uh, and then we went from there to, to New York City into the, the borough of Queens. First night that we were there, I'll never forget it. The first night we were there, uh, they smashed the window out. Of, I'm, I'm looking on the street and I'm looking. Everybody's got these really big heavy chains wrapped around their steering wheel and their brake pedal and padlocked in their cars. I'm like, that's weird. Uh, and I understood the next morning because where our van was is a pile of glass and the van is gone. Uh, and then they came out, the pastor came in and said, yeah, we probably should have put that somewhere else. Nothing in New York on wheels lasts overnight. Uh, and so it was gone. Uh, and then they brought us out uh, we're there ministering all week. They bring us a station wagon. We had to literally make a hole in the station wagon. One of us had to take turns laying down uh, in the little place in the cargo port in the back for all of our stuff to get the rest of the trip. And then we went up into New Hampshire and then uh, and then home. And so we're in in uh, in uh, Queens, and Queens is a heavily Puerto Rican area of the city. Uh, and we go to uh, we go to a Puerto Rican family's house for dinner, and they that was my first experience with Puerto Rican cuisine. Uh, and so there's a lot of things that uh, that I really thoroughly enjoy. Obviously, my wife uh, cooks a lot of a, a lot of traditional Puerto Rican food, uh, and I obviously eat it a lot of it. Uh, and so, but this lady brought some some rice out. I I'd never really been been exposed to that, and it had things in it that I just can't do. If it if it lives in the water, I don't eat it. Uh, okay, so if it's uh, uh, if it's a no offense, brother Jerry, if it's Asian, I can't do it. If it's if it lives in the water, I can't do it. Uh, it, it just is just something about the sauces or uh, and so they bring me this this thing uh, and I get through the rice okay uh, and I can kind of pick through and leave enough so as not to be offensive. And the college student that's leading it is the founder's younger brother, and he's just like eat it. Eat it. You're gonna eat it, or I'm gonna kill you. Uh, and I, and I got through most of that, and then they brought dessert. And well, I'm usually pretty excited about dessert. Okay, dessert is something that's right up my alley. Uh, my wife tries to give me a lot of dessert because she says I need all the help getting sweeter that I can get. Uh, and so uh, you know, see, they bring out the dessert, and it's at it, it, first it's looking like maybe okay. Uh, another thing that I just can't do. I like the taste of coconut, okay, but the texture of it just kind of gags me. The dessert has coconut. And I'm just like, I can't do it. Eat it. Eat it. Eat it. You're going to offend them. And so I didn't eat it. I don't know if the people were offended or not, but the people I was traveling with were offended because I got them in trouble or they thought I was going to. Uh, but it was just like, you know, I don't want to know what's in there. I'm not going to ask. Uh, I'm just going to try to do my best. So that which is set before you. Just eat it. Don't ask any questions. Why? Uh, because if it's been blessed, God has given liberty. Amen. But then he says, unless it's been offered to idols. In other words, if, if what's set before you has been sacrificed to an idol, and the host then makes it clear to you, hey, we brought this home from worshiping our idol today, and this is what we sacrificed to the idol and now we're having it for lunch, then that don't eat, not just for your conscious sake, but for their conscious sake. Because now it's abundantly clear the issue is not what's on the table, the issue is the purpose for which it was brought to the table and what it was used for. And he says, for their conscience sake, because you taking a stand 
gives opportunity for the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to the heart. You, you cannot be inconsistent in what you consume and then preach, stay away from idols. If you know what it's for. So the, this is the context of, uh, of this great verse of Scripture that is often preached from. A lot of people take 1 Corinthians 10.31 to be their life verse. Uh, and But when we understand that all the, this backstory of what's going on here, uh, that the whole purpose is to pursue the wealth, in other words, the path to the gospel, to the lost, to draw someone, to not make an issue of something that God has not made an issue of, so that they can be reached with the gospel. For if I, in verse 30, by grace, be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of? Or of that for that of spoken of for that for which I gave give thanks. Then verse 31, whether therefore ye eat or drink. So Paul says the context has been eating and drinking. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, then he makes a broader application. Or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And the point is this if I can do it honestly and sincerely for the glory of God and have God's blessing, then I can exercise that in my Christian life. But I should only exercise that in my Christian life if it is helping me to reach those around me. If it's something that hinders and I abstain, it's not because I can stand and preach, hey, this is wrong. It's just not expedient to accomplish the purpose for which God has left me here. And that brings us to really the point of the message this morning and the importance of purpose. What we're talking about here is why do I do what I do? You know, a lot of people just kind of go through life randomly. We, we live in a world where a lot of things that are presented are just presented as, as random. And you just kind of go with the flow. We just kind of, uh, you know, go with, the, go with the current. But let me ask you a question this morning. For the things that you do in your life, the things that I do in my life, what is the motivating power behind why you do what you do? What purpose do you do the things that you do? Now, when we consider this and understand what purpose is, and so uh, we'll define here just briefly purpose. The word purpose means to intend. Sometimes we use the word intentionally. We do things intentionally. Uh, and, uh, and so to intend or to design or to resolve, uh, it means to determine on some end or object to be accomplished. In other words, I'm going to have a purpose that this is my stated goal. This is where I want to end up. This is what I want to accomplish. This is my purpose. Why are you going to, uh, going to do this thing? Well, because I want to accomplish this. In September, we'll have our annual friend day. That seems like uh, a long way off, but it's been pretty heavy on my mind throughout this past week. Uh, and so <clears throat> the, all of the, the, the planning, things that need to be ordered, uh, things that need to be done as far as promoting uh, that day, uh, all of that is already kind of at least mentally underway. And even this week or next week, things will be ordered. And uh, all of those things have to be done in advance to, to bring them together. We kind of evaluate days and different things that we do. Well, uh, what, what is going to, is it worth our effort and energy 
to do a particular event just because we've always done it. Well, what is it accomplished? What is the purpose of having the event? So listen, we have very definite purpose for Friend Day. It is to bring more folks that need the gospel in. All of the music will be geared more toward an evangelistic spirit. The message will be, be geared toward uh, a heavily gospel-centered message that is primarily uh, to those without Christ as opposed to meeting the needs kind of of everyone. Sunday mornings kind of tend to have that in them a little bit more anyway. But on this particular day, it's just a wonderful opportunity for everyone to reach out to friends and to neighbors and family members that do not know that Jesus is our Savior and bring them in knowing that on this given Sunday that everything that happens is going to be for the purpose of communicating them the gospel in a way that draws them to the gospel so that the Holy Spirit has ample opportunity to work and that their life is reached. There is a purpose behind it. There is a reason why we do it. There's a reason why we'll canvas the doors in the heat of the summer and that we'll advertise on Google and that we'll do different things that we do to try to get the word out, that we'll organize prayer meetings around it. There, there is a purpose behind what we're trying to accomplish. It is not a random uh, day that we just put on the church calendar so that it looks like we have something going on. How many of us live our lives randomly? How many of us live our lives without any real, genuine purpose? Paul here is addressing their problem, but he says, whatsoever then ye eat, whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So what is our purpose? It's to glorify God. It's what we're created to do. Now, Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 17 phrases it this way, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So whatever I do in word or deed... I have to be able to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The entire duty of man to fear the Lord, to keep His commandments. Spoken and written by Solomon the king, the wisest man that ever lived, after he had wasted his wisdom for a lifetime and cried, decried throughout the book of Ecclesiastes that I have, uh, I've had everything and it's all vanity. And why did he say that it was vanity? Ultimately, when you break it all down, he cried out that all was vanity because he did all to the feeding of his own desires rather than having a purpose to love and to honor and to serve and please God. And so consider Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. You know what's unique? One of the unique things about human nature is that most of the time, what we really long for is not mercy, but justice or revenge. When somebody wrongs us, uh, somebody wrongs someone else, oh, they should be merciful. Somebody wrongs me, I want revenge. You're not ever going to do that. I'm going to fix this. But that's not what he says here. He says, what is God, God has shown me what is good. God has shown me what's required of me, what he requires. I am to do justly. I am to love mercy. 
and I am for and, and to keep his or excuse me uh, to love mercy, and I am to walk humbly with my God. That's that's my responsibility as as a human being, and to convey that to future generations. Now, our purpose as Christians is to love, honor, and obey our God. That's what our lives should be about. I want to love him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might. And if I do love him that way, the natural response or the natural manifestation of my love is obedience. It's not something I really even have to work at. If I love him with all that I am, the natural response or manifestation of that love is obedience. What becomes important to him or what is important to him becomes important to me. What is valuable to him becomes valuable to me. So our purpose as Christians is to to love, honor, and obey our God. And the Christian purpose is what qualifies and quantifies then all other purposes. So if I'm a Christian, if I'm a person and I want to live my life intentionally, if I want my life to be impactful, I cannot live it randomly. I must live with purpose. I want my life, I want the uh, the activities of my life to be intentional or purposeful. Uh, and so the Christian purpose, having stated that I love, honor, and obey God, but then my purpose is then what qualifies and quantifies or directs and determines the purpose for which I live my life on a daily basis. It governs my actions. It governs my thinking. It governs my relationships. God has set parameters in his word for our lives. And the message this morning is not about, okay, pastor, what are all of the rules and the regulations? It's not the purpose of the sermon this morning. The purpose of the message this morning is, is to convey that as Christians we should live our lives with purpose. That we should live them not randomly, but intentionally. So some things that I think are just kind of natural outflows of this thought, whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Just some some obvious observations here. Number one this morning, I would say that purpose then gives me direction. If I'm going to do everything to the glory of God, then I have to evaluate everything that I do and point it in a direction that is going to bring glory to God. In other words, I can't just set out and randomly do things in my life that I know are sinful or that will dishonor God and then expect to end up in a place that I have glorified God. If I can't do this to the glory of God, so purpose gives direction. Now, two questions here about purpose giving us direction number one what is the purpose of my life <clears throat> and this is I believe, this is no, by no means is this exhaustive this morning but just uh, as we think this through and think about it a little bit if purpose gives me direction then what is the purpose of my life i can't answer that question for you i can answer that question for me does this morning your life have purpose it's it's quite possible this morning that as i make that statement or phrase that question that there are at least a few people in the room that are sitting here thinking, what is the purpose of my life? What, what, is, what is governing me? See, we just we get up in the morning, our body says you're hungry, so we eat, or your body screams for caffeine, so we have coffee, uh, or, uh, and then we, we have a, a schedule, we, we go to work, 
Uh, we uh, do things that we have to do. We, why? Because we have to put food on the table. Why? Because we have to clothe our children. Uh, why? Because uh, they have to be presentable when they go out and represent us. Uh, we send them to school. Why? Because they need to be educated. Uh, but that's not a purpose. That's random activity. That's random activity to do that which society has said is what normal, decent people do. I'm talking about living a life that is more purposeful than that. That's, that's not a random. What is the purpose of my life? What is the purpose of your life this morning as a Christian? So you look at your own heart and your own life and you say, yes, pastor, I know that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I've put my faith in him. I've trusted him for salvation. Okay, great. Wonderful. That's, that's awesome. You're a Christian. What is the purpose of your Christian life? I'm not talking about theoretically. I'm not talking about hypothetically. I'm not talking about uh, philosophically. I'm talking about practically. How you live your life from day to day. What is the purpose of your life as a Christian? Do I know the answer to that question? It's quite possible this morning that someone here, particularly someone that maybe is newer uh, to the faith and newer to uh, the Christian life, would be wondering, wow, that's a great question. What is the purpose of my Christian life? What is it that God wants me to do? Or what is it that should be motivating and driving me? See, as a Christian, God has a purpose for me. Let me ask you another question. What is the purpose of your life as a spouse? I think on the slide it's going to say husband because when I was a kid in school, everything just tended to be, if it was, if it was intended for everybody, it was in masculine phraseology. And so I tend to write things down that way. But what is the purpose of your life? Uh, in your blank there, you can either put as a husband, as a wife, whatever's appropriate to you, uh, as a child in the home, uh, but as a spouse, what is the purpose of your life? Well, you say great answers, Pastor. My purpose of my uh, of my life is to complement or to lead or to meet the needs of my spouse. That's a good answer, but it's not a purposeful answer. It's what good, decent, normal people do, but it's not a purpose. It's not an intentional goal to get somewhere. It is not directed. I would say this morning, what is my purpose as a father, a mother, as a parent? What's your purpose? See, the reality is, is that I can provide, I can protect, and I can educate my family and fail. But pastor, my children were clothed, they were fed, they're well educated, they have great careers. But what was the purpose? Can you say this morning, my children love God with all their heart with all their soul, with all their might. See, as a Christian, I have a purpose to glorify God. As a Christian, I have an obligation to live my life, to organize my life, to conduct the daily activity of my life for a purpose. And too many times we just live life randomly. Our purpose is to love and serve God. Listen, this is what we've done, and we've not done it intentionally. I'm not saying that 
Hey, if, if you've done this in your life or in areas that I've done it in mine, because I think that uh, none of this is absolute. We all have areas of bleed over where we've done some things better than others and some things that we honestly have to look at and say, man, I really failed at that. But I did a pretty good job in this area of my life. And then these other areas, it's kind of been all over the place. And so I think that all of us will fall into that depending on what the area of life is. But here's the reason. The reason is because we live life randomly. And we have inverted in our life, we flip-flopped in our life that which is important for that which is culturally relevant and acceptable. For that which society has said is important. Now listen, I'm all for being a good husband and a loving husband and a, uh, and a, and a good father and grandfather. Uh, I'm, all, I'm, all, I'm for all of those things. But that's not my purpose. My purpose is to glorify God. My purpose is to live in a way that is not expedient for me, but is expedient for those around me to be drawn closer to Christ. To make decisions, to design my activities, to, uh, to, uh, to have relationships that open and pave the way for others to be either brought to Christ and become Christians to those that are, uh, that have been hurt or those that are backslidden and those that are away from God to be compelled to return at not that which is convenient or expedient for me, but that which is convenient and expedient to the wealth of others in their relationship with Christ. Whatsoever you do, whether you eat, whether you drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's my purpose. And what we have done, because we've just been trained to do it this way by society, and it's what's been laid out for generations, is that, hey, listen, uh, you're a husband, you're a wife, you, you take care of each other, you take care of the children, you make sure they're educated, you do all these things, and they're wonderful, good things, but they are not the purpose of our life. And we have focused on the wrong purpose. And we have lost generations of Christians that truly have a heart for God. What is the purpose of my life? Second question, how am I going to accomplish this purpose? Now we could spend an incredible amount of time on that thought. But it's not my place to say to you, let me map out and plan your life. That's not my job. My job is to try to inspire and motivate you to pray and to lean on God and to learn his word so that he can show you. Because what worked in my family and my children and the environment in which we lived when they were young isn't the same as what you're in now. There's, there's not a cookie cutter recipe of uh, of, of training a family or having a healthy marriage? Are there common things that should be done and should be taught and should be emphasized no matter what the environment, the culture, whatever? Yes, but it's not, it's not so simple as to just say this worked in this era and this age. And this, listen, everybody faces different problems at different times. There are different relationship problems potentially that are, that could pop up and uh, even in, within the same uh, th the same environment culturally from one city to the next or one church to the next or one school to the next, they could all be radically different. So my purpose this morning is to not say, how am I going to accomplish this purpose? Here is a sure-fired, can't-miss, will-not-fail recipe for being everything that you should be for God. 
There is one. And it's in here. But you have to walk with God and have a relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit so that he can show it to you for your life. And when we do that, then God makes the difference. Here's what most of us have done. We've gone through life making ourselves a pinball, bouncing off of the different obstacles in the machine. And the, you ever sit in an old pinball machine and the best that you can hope for is trying to put enough pressure on the paddle to get to the best that you can control it, a bounce that is going to get you to a favorable place on the paddle so that you can have a little bit more control of what all you run into. Try to get it to kind of come down slowly to the corner so that it rolls slowly out to the edge of the paddle so you can flip it when you're ready to just ping pong back off against life. That's the way most people live their life today. We're just a ping pong ball bouncing off the obstacles of the things that happen in everyday life. We have no control. We are completely at the mercy of what the world throws at us. That's no way to live. We don't have to live that way. We can live a life with purpose. Say, well, Pastor, does that mean that I'm not going to have all these obstacles? To, to You're still going to have to navigate the obstacles, but you're going to have a guide to help navigate your way through with a compass and a map and a guide rather than just randomly bouncing around off of everything. How am I going to accomplish this purpose? Walk with the Lord. I don't mean to oversimplify it or to, you know, try to just kind of put a spiritual label on it, but it really is that simple. Learn to walk with Jesus. Determine to live life to fulfill the purpose that God has clearly stated in his word that our lives are to fulfill and seek a relationship with him so that he can help you to navigate your way through. Listen, what we're talking about here is, is what does purpose accomplish in my life? And the answer to that is it gives direction. Rather than getting up and saying, okay, uh, boy, uh, the, the, the kids are going to wake up soon. I got to get breakfast ready. Uh, I got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to have them here. I've got to make this appointment. I've got to do that. I've got to go to work. I've got to cut the grass. I've got to blah, blah, blah. Do it with purpose. They're all tasks that have to be done. They're all things that have to be done. But why am I doing them? Am I doing them to glorify God? Am I doing the things that need to be done? Am I focusing on them so that that becomes the most important priority of my day? Or am I doing the mundane tasks that have to be done so that I can get them out of the way so that I can get focused on God? Do what we do with a purpose of bringing glory to God. Second thought this morning. When I have a life that's lived for purpose, then purpose allows creativity. Purpose allows creativity. Now, we spent most of our time there. I'm cognizant of the hour. We still have five or six more points, but they're just basically statements and not subpoints. I'm just trying to give you some things to, to mull over and really think about this morning. Purpose allows creativity. In other words, focused rather than random planning. See, am I just getting up and, okay, we have a conversation, and when the kids were small and young and in home, uh, our conversation in the evening sometimes would be like, okay, uh, well, 
what do you have to do tomorrow? Well, you've got to be at school at 730 uh, and you take the kids. And then if one of them's running late, I'll bring them with me at eight. Uh, and then after school, there's basketball practice and I've got to lead that. Or tonight we've got a game. And so we're going to do this for supper and we're going to do. And it was just kind of like a uh, just a more of a, a, a all the things we had to do. We just kind of haphazardly threw the schedule together to just get all of those things done. But when did we stop and say, how is this going to help me put in them a heart to serve God? See, I still had to do the same things, but I could do things in a way that brought God into the equation. And so just by way of thought this morning, if I am going to live my life by purpose, I need to realize that purpose allows creativity. Purpose allows me to say, okay, this is what I need to accomplish today to please and to glorify God. How can I get that done? I'm giving thought and prayer and I'm seeking direction from God. Okay, God, this is the things that you've put on my agenda today that have to be done. How can I do this in a way that helps me to instill in my family or to to show your love to my wife or to help someone that's lost? How can I get this done while incorporating these things that you've said are really important? There's all kinds of creative ways to do things. It could be as simple as taking someone and spending, maybe buying them coffee at, at, a, at a coffee shop or sitting down and having a meal or going and, uh, and, and you've, got, uh, you've got some time planned to go uh, and engage in an activity and you invite them to come along where you're just spending time and investing uh, in their life as, and sharing with them what God is doing in your life. Listen, what I'm saying is, is that purpose allows creativity. Thirdly, this morning, consider that purpose serves as a monitor and a stabilizer. Purpose serves as a monitor and a stabilizer. If you come to church here very long at all, you frequently hear me say something along the lines of self-evaluate. When's the last time you stopped and you looked at your life and you looked at your relationship with your spouse, you looked at your relationship with your children or grandchildren, you looked at your relationships at work and you evaluated them and where they are in relation to your Christian life? Is my life governed by random chaos or is my life governed by the purpose of living and loving for loving for and loving God? Fulfilling my duty as a Christian. Purpose serves as a monitor and a stabilizer. Two thoughts about this. Just first, what I'm talking about here is this, is that purpose becomes the check and the balance of my life. If you follow politics, you kind of understand our whole entire governmental system and three branches of government is set up to provide check and balance. If any one element of it gets too much power, then it's generally a bad thing for the country. And so it's intentionally set up so that there are checks and balances, so that there are, it's intentionally hard to get things done because it provides a check and a balance. And what I'm saying this morning is that purpose in my Christian life provides provides me with a check and balance, okay? There are things that have to be done, but purpose checks that and balances that against the Word of God, my relationship with God, my accomplishment of what God has given me to do. And if I'm not willing to step back and to say, hey, uh, I've got to evaluate my day, okay? I've set my schedule for the week, now let me evaluate it. Does this accomplish what God's given me to do? How does this accomplish uh, that, that person that God's put on my heart to reach out to? How does it help me to accomplish this, uh, this, uh, this study time that I need to set aside? How does this help make those things happen? It's a check and balance system in life. Not only that, but let her be there. It is a prevention. It helps to prevent major mistakes. Most of the time when we make really massive major mistakes, it's because we just don't sit down and think about where's this going to lead me? 
Where's this going to take me? What's this relationship going to put me into? What is this, uh, this job going to do to my walk with God? What is, and we could, any area of life. And that's the beauty of the Word of God. And a, particularly a passage like this is that it's hard for me to sit down and say, okay, let's hone in on this one area because this deals with all of life. That this truth transcends one area of life. It is to govern my entire life. It is to govern my entire way of thinking. Purpose serves as a modern stabilizer. Number four this morning, purpose energizes motivation. When I have a reason to get something done, I am a lot more energetic and committed to getting it done. <clears throat> I, uh, I generally enjoy yard work when I get started doing it. But getting to the point that I'm actually got it underway sometimes is a struggle. And sometimes what my neighbors are doing around me motivates me to want to get it done. This week happens to be one of those weeks. If you come to my yard, it's not completely out of control. I did mow it on Saturday, uh, but uh, not yesterday, Saturday, but the Saturday before. Uh, I, I, I tried to do it a couple of times this week. It just didn't work out. I really should have done it yesterday, but by the time we got uh, back home from doing things we were doing in the morning, it was just a little bit hotter outside than what I can really tolerate well these days. And then by the time it got cool enough in the evening to do it, I was just like, eh, forget it, it'll still be there Monday. <laughs> I just wasn't motivated. Why? Because it wasn't that important. See, Monday it's going to be pretty important because it's going to start looking worse. And so when it gets bad enough, it, it rises on the list, the priority list to where then other things get cleared out so that it gets done. And what I'm saying simply is this, is that when I have a purpose for my day, I have motivation to get up and live it. Do you, how many times do we find ourselves getting out of bed thinking, oh, the baby's crying. Oh, I've got to fix breakfast. Oh, I've got to do this task. We don't really want to do it. And we, we drudge our way through life doing what we have to do rather than having something to do that we can be excited about. Listen, I, in the fall when it's really cool or in the spring when it's really cool, I can get pretty excited about doing yard work. But I'm just telling you, from, from the 1st of July until mid-October, there is not one ounce of excitement in my body about doing yard work in Houston. It's just hot, it's sticky, it's muggy. I'm already sweating before I open the garage door. It's just not fun. I'm not excited about it. But when the fall comes around and she's ready to plant flowers or it's time to plant some garden or it's time to do something like that, I can get excited about that. Oh, today we're going to the beach. I can get excited about that. Today we're leaving for vacation. We get excited about that. Isn't it amazing how when you have all these tasks of things that you've got to get done uh, and you've got a trip coming up and you've got to get those things done before you can leave for the trip that all of a sudden the things that you've been putting off for a month become really important and you're actually excited about doing them for two days before you go? Why? Because you have a purpose. My point is this. When my life has a purpose, I have a reason to get up in the morning. I have a reason to live. I have a reason to do what I do. I have a reason to engage in relationship. I have a, re a reason to spend time with God in prayer. I have a reason to spend time in His Word. I have a reason to be focused and to be committed on what God has given me to do. Purpose energizes motivation. 
I have important things to accomplish, not random menial tasks to get bogged down with. Fifthly this morning, purpose supports unity. Purpose supports unity. Purpose, a common purpose in a business brings unity to its employment. A common purpose within the family brings a unity to do the things that need to be done. A common purpose within a church promotes unity throughout its membership so that the purpose is accomplished. Purpose inspires and begets unity. Listen, a unified purpose brings about a unified effort which produces unified results. Results that we can be excited about. Results that we can praise God together about. Results that we can rejoice together that God is moving and that God is working and that God is accomplishing something either in my life or in my family or in our church. Purpose supports unity. And then lastly this morning, purpose establishes value. Purpose establishes value. Listen, the the task of my day without purpose are meaningless. But when they fulfill the purpose, they are valuable. When's the last time that you pillowed your head and you look back at your day and you laid your head down in confidence feeling as if your life had been purposeful and meaningful and accomplished something today that mattered? Rather than, I'm so tired, I don't want to think about another thing. And you're out for the night purpose. Listen, I, I want to get up in the morning. I'm not saying I'll always accomplish it, but I want to get up in the morning excited about what I need to do that day and what I have planned to do that day. And I want to go to bed at night looking back and thinking, man, I'm sure I'm glad that my day was meaningful and purposeful and glorified God today. That my relationships with my wife, with my children, with my grandchildren glorify God. It inspired in them a heart to serve God. It led them in a direction to have a heart for, for an ability for God to work in their life. My my uh, day today inspired my coworkers, inspired my uh, co-laborers, inspired my uh, friends around me. It drew them closer to God. It, what, I didn't live life today to my advantage or for my wealth. I lived today for their advantage so that they became wealthy in the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul lays it out and he says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all. Do it all to the glory of God. Final statement we're done this morning. A man with no purpose is a man that is going nowhere, doing nothing and wasting his life. I don't want to be a Christian that's going nowhere, that's doing nothing and wasting my life. I want to be a Christian that knows where I'm going, that has something meaningful to do, and that lives a life that impacts others for the glory of God. Heavenly Father, as we close this morning, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to have much to think about and to glean as we Lord, consider what you want our lives to be lived for. Lord, may our lives be lived with purpose. May we have a reason for everything that we do, no matter how small it seems. And Lord, help us to be a people that are striving together for the faith of the gospel.
Help our families, Lord, help us to be the husbands and the wives that that support and inspire a love for God to our spouse. May we, as parents and grandparents, inspire our children and grandchildren to live and to love for you in a way that will cause you to be glorified and in a way that will be expedient to the wealth of the lost and to the backslidden around us as they find their way to Jesus. Lord Jesus, make it so. Holy Spirit, convict our hearts. In Jesus' name and amen.